Well, the uh, sermon text for this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. 26 through 32. We'll back up just a little bit to verse uh, 24 and read on through the end of the chapter. So either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. This is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. Therefore God, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Uh, I, uh, as, a, as an individual, really generally like lists. Um, I, uh, I make lists, I, uh, I read lists, I get books about lists. My wife gave me another, recently, a, a book of lists pertaining to baseball, of course. Um, lists are, are interesting to me. Uh, they, they, uh, they help me to be organized as well as I, as I do my work. And Paul, the apostle, really likes lists as well. If you go through his books, you'll find, or his letters, you'll find uh, various lists that he, that he writes in various books. Some of them are very helpful and encouraging. Uh, the one that we read today is really a rather grim one, but that is really the purpose of it. It is to be, it is a, a sobering list. It is a list of sins which the people and cultures and individuals of the world are guilty. And we can see current news stories, and, and it'll flash through as we, as we review this, people maybe that we know or have read about or seen that have these, these characteristics, these sins in their behavior. But ultimately, we also ought to be seeing glimpses of ourselves in this list of sins. Maybe not in all of them, but certainly in some of them. And that is the point. We are to see not only society and our neighbors, but ourselves in this list of sins. Because Paul is reminding us of why we are all under God's wrath and why we need a Savior. And so 
Uh, we, we will go through this, uh, this chapter, certainly, and we will see glimpses of the world around us. But let us also be looking to see glimpses of ourselves and how we need a Savior. Well, first, a depraved mind in verse 28. Now, last week we began our look at verses 26 through 32, uh, ending of this first chapter of Romans. Now, in the chapter as a whole, Paul is showing why mankind needs the gospel. And that is because we are sinful and rebellious. And we are all under his righteous and just wrath for our rejection of him. This is true of of every individual. And our chapter focuses on the non-Jewish people and cultures of the world, but certainly it's true of everyone. As Paul noted in verses 18 through 25, mankind knows of God's existence and his nature because they have been clearly revealed by him in his creation. And yet we ignore the truth about him and are being answerable to him and instead suppress the truth and, and pursue sinful living and invent false religions. God then gives mankind over to our sins as sin becomes the punishment for sin this side of judgment. In verses 26 through 32, Paul gives examples of the the wickedness that comes from rejection of the true God and the worship of false gods and are being given over to our sinful desires. Verses 26 and 27, we looked at last week, focused on sexual immorality, specifically same-sex desires and, and sexual acts. They are vivid examples in Paul's mind of mankind's rejection of God and indulgence in sinful thoughts, desires, and actions as they go against God's created natural order. And what follows in today's verses 28 through 32 is a list of various examples of mankind's sinfulness beyond what was listed in 26 and 27. Our application of this list again is not merely to be an acknowledgement of the sins of others who are seeing the world around us and how wicked and sinful it is, but also how wicked and sinful you and I are, how we sin against each other in our rejection of the true God, and how you and I find examples of our own sins in this list. Uh, Like me, uh, you are a sinner who deserves wrath and judgment by the holy God that We have offended by our sins. And so the point is to avoid the punishment that you and I deserve. We need God's grace. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. And so Paul tells us of our need so that we might take hold of that offer of the gospel, which is the only hope of sinners. And we begin with verse 28 where Paul writes, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, this verse echoes uh, truths that he presented back in verses 19 and 21. That his, in his creation, God has made his existence and his invisible attributes, his, his power and his goodness and his beauty and his glory and so on. He has made them obvious and plain to every person by what he has made in the wonderful glory of God displayed in creation. And yet, as verse 21 notes, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. 
And so then he adds that we are without excuse. When people refuse to honor the one true God that we all know exists and is to be honored, then there is a descent into futile or or useless speculations. And mankind invents religions and philosophies apart from God to reject and replace him. So our verse 28 then adds that when they did not see fit to acknowledge the one true God, that God gave them over to a depraved mind, which then led to their doing of actions which are not proper. And then he'll give a list of some of them. Now, this is the third time in chapter 1 that Paul used the phrase, God gave them over. We saw it in verse 24 and we saw it in verse 26. In the previous two uses, Paul referred to God's letting people do what they want to do in their sinful desires and their rebellion against him. Their sinful lives became punishment for their sins. But in our verse here, God gives us over to a depraved mind. Now the word translated depraved is a Greek word which means uh, rejected as false, disapproved, unfit. So all people are described as being unfit in our minds, in in our thinking, as God gave us over to our rejection of him. We are, by our fallen and sinful nature, unable to think rightly regarding God. We do not rightly understand what God reveals, and we do not rightly acknowledge him as the creator to whom we are answerable. And as Paul adds that the result is that we do things which are not proper, and he'll then uh, launch into that list. Uh, The word for, for mind that's used in our verse is uh, nous uh, in the Greek. And so uh, theologians will speak of the noetic effects of sin being taught here. Uh, R.C. Sproul writes, the noetic effects of sin describe the impact of sin upon the mind of fallen humanity. The faculty of thinking with which we reason has been seriously disturbed and corrupted by the fall. In our natural, unregenerate state, there is something dramatically wrong with our minds. Now, this does not mean uh, that mankind is unintelligent. Uh, Not at all. Although we're we're broken in lots of ways, including our minds, we still have the ability to think and to learn to be logical Uh, to retain and apply knowledge. People all over the world can and do become educated and are able to do all kinds of things. And so this does not mean that we are incapable of thinking. But the noetic effect of sin upon the mind rather refers to our inability to understand spiritual things rightly. As the larger, larger catechism number 28 notes, The punishments of sin in this world are either inward, and it begins a list, as blindness of mind, a reprobate sense, strong delusions, hardness of heart. And then it goes on from there. That that little phrase, blindness of mind, is especially helpful. In, In the Institutes, John Calvin expresses the same idea as he writes, Paul contends 
that the mind is given over to blindness and the heart to depravity. And other scriptures certainly make that clear. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, about how human beings by nature do not accept the truth about God because of the futility of their mind and being darkened in their understanding. Paul adds that there is also a hardness of their heart and that they are separated from the life of God. So there is a profound and, and deep inability and darkness that rejects the truth of God, of God's revelation. And even though it is clearly displayed, it is rejected. Paul adds in, in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 that this is true of the word of God as well as, as people encounter it. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Paul tells us, and countless other scriptures tell us, that, that the creation is shouting every day that God exists and that he is good and that we're answerable to him. But we are broken in our souls and in our thinking and will always on our own exchange the truth of God for a lie and not respond to the facts appropriately. Uh, the truth is suppressed and ignored. And maybe you've seen this at work as you've tried to share the gospel with people uh, that, that you can explain it as clearly and concisely as possible, and they still do not accept it. They do not grasp it. There's something that, that, it, that they are... They are disabled from being able to respond to it rightly. And that is this, this, uh, this spiritual blindness that is spoken of here. The uh, great theologian Cornelius Van Til uh, uses the illustration of the sinner having yellow tinted glasses permanently glued to his face. And everything that he sees is yellow. Uh, Theologian Scott Oliphant picks up Van Til's illustration and comments, The blindness of sin does not mean that we cannot see. It means rather that everything we see is colored by our condition of depravity. What we see, we inevitably twist according to our own sinful desires. Now he does not get into it here. But Paul here is laying also the groundwork that salvation must come from God by his sovereign grace and is never a, a, an effort of mankind reaching up and finding God. The gospel is perfectly reasonable and totally truthful and thoroughly sound. And yet a fallen man or woman will never accept it, but will think it's foolish. God's power and grace is the only cure for the blindness of mind and hardness of heart and darkened understanding that the scriptures describe as the condition of lost men and women. As Jesus says in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 that believers have experienced this miraculous change emphasizing that it is miraculous and amazing. Now we have received 
not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. It is only by the work of God the Holy Spirit that we are able to think rightly about such things and embrace the truth. In verse 28, we're told that man's depraved mind, this twisted thinking, results in all sorts of sinful and wicked ideas and words and deeds, things which are not proper. Now, uh, some modern translations use a different sense of that word here. The word proper sounds less serious in English, like not wearing a tie to a fancy restaurant is not proper attire. That's not the sense in which Paul means it here. The Greek word behind it actually means actions that are morally wrong. And so the list that follows stresses by these examples the moral wrongness and sinfulness and the resulting actions from our hard hearts and wrong thinking. So second, a list of sins in verses 29 through 31. And here Paul gives us what is often referred to as a sin list or a vice list. And there are other examples in Paul's letters, such as the list in Galatians 5 that precedes the fruit of the Spirit. There is no overarching arrangement here, although there might be some logic behind or reason behind groupings particularly, but there's no overall structure here that can be discerned. And certainly it's not meant to include every example of sin. That would be a much longer list. But here is a sample. And the purpose here is to show how much sin is committed as mankind has been given over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. And remember, uh, these sins, as well as the idolatry and sexual sins that were noted earlier in the chapter, are all done not merely against other people, but are acts of disobedience and rebellion ultimately against the God that we know exists and who to whom we are answerable. But we suppress the truth and indulge in sin. And he lets us go our own way as mankind, as societies, as individuals. And so we are to see ourselves in this list as well as uh, the sins of the society around us and in the world. Paul lists 21 sins or vices here. And he begins in verse 29 by saying that the state of mankind and our condition is such that we are being filled with all, and then he launches into his list of sins. In other words, uh, mankind as a whole is horrible in all kinds of ways. Now, don't be worried. We won't spend a whole lot of time on, on any individual uh, list here or item in the list here, but we will briefly walk through them. Now, it's common for folk who actively reject God to say that they are free and uh, that they can truly be themselves without any restraints. Maybe you've heard that from unbelievers. But what they really have is a slavery to their sins and a descent into harming themselves and harming other people as they indulge in sinfulness. They are unknowingly slaves to sin and their desires. And we have examples of that here. In this fallen world, we are all sinners by nature who do all sorts of wickedness. Notice as well that the examples are not sins of idolatry or blasphemy directed against God, 
the blasphemy with one exception in, in the list. And they do not deal with sexual sins, which were covered earlier in the chapter. But they touch on all manner of ways in which people sin against one another. Unrighteousness is a very broad term for injustice or moral wrongfulness and emphasizes how we do not treat one another rightly. Wickedness is also a broad term that refers to evil purposes and and desires. Greed is the desire to have more in a selfish and covetous way. Evil refers broadly to ill will and the desire to hurt And it's sometimes translated malice. Full of envy describes being jealous, wanting what other people have. Murder is the killing of another person without justification or or valid reason. But in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us that it's also about hating others. Strife refers to quarreling or rivalry and pursuing conflict. Deceit is the practice of misleading others, of lying, of tricking them. Malice is helpfully defined by Robert Haldane as a desire to hurt others without any reason other than the doing of evil to them and finding pleasure in their sufferings. Gossips is literally in the Greek whisperers and refers to those who who, to talk about others without their permission or approval, often sharing personal and private information that they would not want shared. And sometimes this is from ill will, sometimes not. But it is always wrong. Slanderers means those who speak against and refers to those who deliberately make false statements in an effort to cause someone to have a bad opinion of that person or to damage their reputation. Haters of God is is, uh, somewhat self-explanatory. Many people hate God for various reasons. What he does, what he does not do. As Paul will say in Romans 8 and 7, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And so this hatred of God includes not just those who outwardly and openly express this hatred, but also includes all those who by their sin and rebellion express hatred with their sinful lives. Insolent means insultingly hateful, expressing violence or contempt in speech or conduct. And this is the practice of a prideful person who insults and injures others with words or actions. And in fact, Paul uses this word to describe his pre-salvation self, in 1 Timothy 1 and 13, and there it's translated violent aggressor. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a a violent oppressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Arrogant is the opposite of humble and refers to having a prideful estimate of one's person or abilities and may also include treating others as, as inferiors or with contempt. Boastful refers to the empty speech that seeks to build up one's reputation among others, being a a braggart, or, or one lexicon said, being ostentatious, that is, seeking to attract attention 
admiration or envy. Inventors of evil refers to mankind's ability to discover more and more ways to hate and to kill one another, as well as our uh, creativity in sinning in other ways. Disobedient to parents is one of the the more surprising uh, uh, members of this list. Because we can dismiss uh, many of the others by thinking of other people. But who hasn't disobeyed their parents? The fifth commandment as imprinted in the heart is shown to be violated by mankind. The final four items on the list all begin in the Greek with the, with the, the first letter of the, the Greek alphabet, alpha, which is a prefix that means un or not or without, and then whatever follows. So without understanding describes the fact that people in their rejection of God do not understand or accept the truth God reveals. Instead, they pursue lies and unwise paths, even if they are damaging or damning to their souls. Untrustworthy literally means not keeping covenant and refers to our not keeping of our promises, not being able to be trusted. Unloving refers specifically in the Greek to failures of people to have family love in those specific relationships. It is a lack of normal affection and care in the family. Unmerciful is a lack of mercy, compassion, or feeling for for the distress or suffering of others. And so we see these vices and sins certainly in our world and certainly in our culture. And we see some of them in ourselves. And the point here is a a point that that Paul will make again in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, third, doing and approving these things worthy of death in verse 32. And here Paul concludes his thought and the chapter by following up on the sin list with a statement on how, although mankind knows God's law and the penalty for sin, they keep on doing it and approve of others who sin as well. Paul writes, and although they know the ordinance of God, The word ordinance refers to judgment or the sentence given by a judge. And so here Paul states that all persons have a sense of God's judgment over us, that we are answerable to him. And this reminds us of what we saw back in verses 18 through 23, that mankind knows that God exists, and yet we do not give thanks to him or serve him. We suppress the truth with unrighteousness and idolatry and sin. And here we know that we are under judgment for our unrighteous behavior. And our consciences, Paul will write later, convict us. He he will write in chapter 2, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their consciences bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. There is a sense of God's law placed in the human heart, the deepest part of who we are. And so that law impacts our consciences, our 
our source of right and wrong in our decision-making. All people, including people who have never heard of the Bible or read it, have a built-in sense of God's basic law in our hearts. And even in our brokenness since the fall, even with depraved minds and indulgence in sin, there remains, our verse tells us, a sense of our guilt before the holy God. In fact, Paul states that mankind knows that those who practice such things are worthy of death. All people have an awareness not just of their guilt before God, but that they and all who do such things, as given in the list and certainly beyond it, are deserving of death for their violations of the law in their hearts and their violation of their own sense of right and wrong. There is debate among commentators on the meaning of the phrase worthy of death. What death is in in view here? It at least means that we know that our physical lives deserve to be ended because of our crimes against the just God. We are all worthy of the death penalty for multiple things. And yet I agree with with the commentator John Murray and others when he contends the death referred to here cannot reasonably be restricted to temporal death. The apostle recognizes these same persons to have knowledge of God's righteous ordinance to the effect that the vices perpetrated deserve the pains of hell. And so Murray contends, and and I agree, that what is spoken of here is spiritual eternal death that mankind has a sense of that. And that does make sense. We are reminded in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. We all have an awareness that there is existence beyond physical death and a judgment. And here, an eternal sentence for wickedness. And we certainly can observe this from history and from the present day, that mankind's countless false religions and idolatries, almost all, if not absolutely all, have some understanding of eternity and judgment, even though their handling of it would be false. Yet notice the sad truth that Paul presents. Even though people know that God exists and is good, and they know that they're answerable to him, and that they know that there is judgment, This does not stop them from committing sins of all kinds. Again, Murray notes, the knowledge of God's righteous judgment does not create any hatred of sin, nor does it foster any disposition to repent of it. In fact, Paul writes, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. There is is evidence of a world or a culture here that has hit rock bottom. That there is not only the committing of sins that we know will bring God's wrath, but the enthusiastic approval of others who also commit the sins that they know and we know will bring God's wrath. And we can certainly see this in our culture in various ways. We can see that there is no longer any social shame or or stigma attached to fornication or to couples living together outside of marriage. That That is gone. That is perfectly acceptable 
in the modern world. Now, there are gay pride events celebrating what God declares in verses 26 and 27 to be degrading passions and indecent acts. Uh, the, the envy and greed and hatred of God inherent uh, in, in, in our culture and even uh, the recent attraction to Marxism in our culture is, is, uh, is another evidence as well. In countless ways, mankind in general and also in individuals finds uh, a certain false sense of comfort to know that we're all sinning. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, an approval and a camaraderie in sinning, that people approve it in themselves and in others. And that is revealed here in chapter 1. Even though we, we know all this, even though we know that there is a wrath of God coming, we continue to do such things. And this is the purpose of chapter 1, that all people of the world are declared to be sinful and rebellious, and idolatrous, and they're under God's holy, just, and just wrath and deserve eternal punishment. And again, Paul does not get to the hope yet, but he will. And he will present, when we get to chapter 3 and beyond, of the, the forgiveness that is offered by the holy and just God. That the God that we offend with our sins has also made a way for us to be forgiven of them. And those come only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is God the Son, the second person of the eternal Trinity, who also became fully man to be our saving substitute. He perfectly obeyed all of God's laws, which we failed to do. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God due to us for our sins upon himself. He died and was buried. But on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead an accepted sacrifice and a living Savior. And all those who trust and repent in him and his saving work alone to save them are forgiven by his sacrifice, are covered in his righteousness, are justified before God in his courtroom, are reconciled and, and brought into a relationship with the triune God and given eternal life. And that's all by God's free gift and grace alone as we are sinners who could never earn or, and, and certainly do not deserve to be accepted or justified. Paul will write in Romans 3, By the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now God has made known a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. As Paul points out in today's passage, we are sinners. But in the gospel, we are, we are reminded that we do not get what we deserve. Jesus took that upon himself as your substitute, as your Savior. And so there is a wonderful grace and blessing in, in revealing our sins to us because we're then reminded of how Jesus Christ paid for them. And not only that, but in that salvation, he works by God the Holy Spirit in us and by his word and in our not new lives to grow us in godliness 
as we're freed from the dominion of sin and freed from a depraved mind to one that is being renewed. And so we are not left in that broken condition. Not only are we saved from our broken broken condition, but he brings healing to us. God the Holy Spirit indwells and changes us as God has set us apart. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God changes us. And as we attend to his means of grace and the Holy Spirit in us by study and prayer and application, we are being renewed. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he removes the noetic effects of sin, our brokenness of mind, so that we can come to Christ. And then in our walks with Christ, he is constantly renewing our minds as we attend to him and his word. And we are able then to grow in grace and put off sin and put on righteousness. And so... If you know Jesus Christ and his salvation, rejoice that all of these things are true by his grace in you. If you have not, then recognize your need and acknowledge your sin and rebellion and repent and embrace Jesus Christ by faith as he's presented in the gospel. And you will be forgiven and reconciled and know eternal life in his fellowship. And one more thing. You will be brought into a family of believers that is very different from the encouragement of sin and endorsement of it that we saw in verse 32. That's the thing of the world, right? We sin and we, we encourage others in their sins. The work of, of God and his church is just the opposite. We love and encourage one another to grow in godliness and we're helps to one another. And that's one of the reasons he puts us together. And I'll close with these words from Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, we, do, uh, we do read with humility this, this list of sins that describes not only the, the darkness and the brokenness of, of this world, uh, but also reflects uh, our own sinfulness. Uh, we recognize that mankind is in deep sin and in need. And that even though... Uh, we see your glory and your presence all around us. Uh, we are broken and we are rebellious and we reject those things. We even know that judgment is coming 
and we persist in sin. And so we thank you and praise you for your grace to us in Christ. We thank you for the work you have done in us to make us born again, to give us renewed minds and hearts that we can see these things and be convicted of them and repent of them and turn to the mercy that's offered in Jesus Christ alone. And so we thank you for doing that in our lives. And we pray that you would be doing in the lives of many others, that you would awaken them uh, to their sin and their need of Christ, that you would renew them and bring them to the gospel so that they might embrace Christ by faith. We thank you and praise you for your grace to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.